Good morning. This is Jim Colburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, and we're here to talk about energy markets. To learn more about us, you can check out our website at commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our podcasts and blog. We would like to thank our friends at EKT Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. Check out their newsletters, podcasts, and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any specific trading system, strategy, or recommendation. We are not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. And today is February 17th. Uh, good morning, Andy. Good morning, Jim. I was uh, looking at um, the EIA's uh, monthly short-term energy outlook. And uh, my favorite chart in there is their notable changes. These are uh, revisions from their previous month. And it, it showed that natural gas prices from 2023 were lowered by 30.5%. And this is in one month period. And um, the jet fuel margins were revised up by 18.7%. And you know, we have a tremendous amount of respect for the analysts at the EIA. And I, I, br I bring this up only to, to kind of underline what we've been talking about for a while now. And that's how difficult it is to get your hands around these markets. So I'd like to talk about the start off talking about the three, uh, the big three uh, short-term energy outlooks that uh, we focus on, the OPEC, EIA, that's the U.S.'s uh, Department of Energy's uh, analyst stats arm, and the IEA. And when I, when I look at the demand they show for 2023, uh, OPEC is at plus uh, 2.3 million barrels a day. The IEA is plus 2.0 million barrels a day and the EIA is plus 1.1. So that, that's a huge uh, diversity in, in um, just on the, on the demand side. And um, why don't you uh, comment on that? Well, Jim, uh, I think we should also add the, uh, maybe not the big four, maybe a mid-major four, the uh, CRG uh, <laughs> balance sheet yeah, as well. I guess, you know, we're not blue bloods, but, uh, you know, we also do our balances. And I think, as our listeners know, um, you know, our balances tend to be uh, a little bit closer to where, you know, the, closer to being correct. I mean, yes. for, to be to be blunt. Yes. But um, and what, what we're looking for on the demand side is somewhere in the middle. Uh, uh, we have up. 1.55 on million barrels per day on uh, demand, which um, you know what I feel I feel pretty good about the EIA's number. You know they're they're looking for I think um, more of a slowdown in the first half economically. I think they they have uh, negative growth for the for the first half of the year. Um, in, at least in in the U.S. So I, I think that their economic outlook. Is influencing their uh, demand outlook on uh, OPEC and well, OPEC. They're um, you know, in one way they're talking their book, showing that big of a 
big of a demand increase, you know, that that's going to be good for that's going to be good for OPEC. But I, I, I think that's, you know, 2.3 would would really be uh, would really mean that uh, the economy is humming. The global economy is, is humming along and uh, China has come back in a, um, you know, in a big way, which also is what the IEA is talking about. I think the IEA has China up. I think it's close to a million barrels a day. Uh, we're we're like zero point seven on uh, we're zero point seven on China. But is is a million barrels a day possible? Yeah, yeah, sure. If if they can uh, crank it up in this in the uh, second half, and that's based really on jet fuel, uh, with the theory being that um, China savings rates have been pretty high during the you know, during COVID, and uh, now they're ready to spend and travel, similar to what we saw in uh, in in the West after COVID was deemed just about over. As far as diesel is concerned, probably less of an increase because the the thinking there is manufacturing uh, is going to come come on later, and we'll probably see more of of uh, you know more travel. Uh, and th- and that's going to be the big, the big driver. And and the the IEA, they made a big move. I mean, they made a big correction. They were looking at in their last monthly, or maybe it was in November monthly, they were up one point six. So they added four hundred thousand barrels a day to their uh, demand estimates. And um, you know that that's a big hike, and it was probably all on all on China. Yeah, I, I'm looking at their jet fuel number. They're looking at uh, plus 1.1 million barrels a day, uh, up to 7.2, and they're uh, saying it's 90% what they had for uh, 2019. So that's that's a kind of odd to see a jet fuel being, you know, front and center in terms of uh, uh, what's one 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 uh, sharp uh, demand driver there. But uh, can you? I guess uh, so. It seems that people or these three groups are looking for the second half of the year uh, for demand to start uh, rocking and rolling a little little more and um, I don't see it I don't see it in the you know we, we continue to see uh, some of those one dollar strike call spreads trading not as actively as we did say you know in 2022. And um, there's still some that are left on. I'll, maybe I'll get into more details later. But are you seeing any people putting on trades for like? A, is it showing up in the crude curve or anything like that? That you know the, well, sort of the second half the, of the year. The crude curve, not not really. I mean, the the crude curve. Yeah, it it was at least on the Brent side pretty well. Back, you know, it, it's the backwardation on uh, Brent and in, in WTI really steepened in uh, in January, but now. As we move into February with this these monster crude builds, the the backwardation is definitely is softening a lot in both curves. So um, you know, I think that yeah, there was expectations for uh, for second half. You look at at the big rally, let's say, and just these red these. We'll take a vanilla one, December twenty three versus December twenty four. Really rallied significantly in January. And uh, as I said, it, it, it's come off now. So I think that given what's happened on the commercial crude, on the U.S. crude inventory side, 
you know, that trade is being reevaluated, seriously being reevaluated. Well, I mean, this is a good time to talk about the uh, weekly uh, balance numbers that came out showing a 16.3 million barrel build in in U.S. crude oil stocks. That's a pretty hefty number. That was a really uh, surprising number to say to say the least. the The big number there, and and this is important, was the, their balancing number. I, th- I think it was something. It was over two billion barrels a day to to balance. What what the EIA does is if all the variables like crude runs and imports and exports, uh, SPR releases, if they don't add up. Uh, to what the crude stock number is, then they they will put in a a number to balance. And last week it was it was monster. Uh, but the thing is that what's probably correct is the crude stock number. Right. And I think the market was was very cavalier when the number came out. And they said, "Oh, it's it's just the you know it's just the balancing number. It doesn't mean anything." But it means yeah. everything because it, it just means that the production or the imports or the exports or the crude run numbers, those were wrong. What's probably right is the stock number. So we did build 16 million. And I think some of the sell-off here that we've seen later this later this week, you know, uh, Thursday and Friday, and particularly today, Friday, uh, February 17th, is part and parcel of that that big build. I mean, at the end of November, U.S. crude stocks were 426 million barrels. They're now 471 mm-hmm. million barrels. So we've built almost a million barrels a day here over the last three months. And if you look at U.S. crude stocks, you know, we're in surplus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at 471 million barrels. The the 2015 to 2019 average, which is pre-COVID, and it's what we like to use for somewhat normal numbers, was was 446. And in terms of day supply, we're running like three and a half days over the over that average. And yeah, I I think we're at you know if you if you look at where we're at. We're in good shape now. You know, stocks will draw as runs increase, but you know, it is it isn't it doesn't look like there's going to be any near term shortfall whatsoever whatsoever on the crude stocks uh, on U.S. crude stocks, except for you know we're going to draw when runs increase into in eight you know April May in second quarter. Right. So what I was going to say is it looks like we built stocks maybe a little early for the seasonality and we we still have we still have to go into the turnarounds or I mean run, runs are right. going to go going to go down going forward right for the next few weeks yeah next few weeks runs are going to you know right the runs the four week average is like 15.1 let's say 15 they'll go down yeah not a lot i mean we're already down because we had all the uh, refinery issues from the Christmas freeze out in uh, the Midwest and the, and the Gulf Coast. So that, that's a big reason why we've built so much is those, those refineries, some of them didn't come back. And plus, there were other refinery problems in the Northwest, California, Upper Midwest. Rockies. So, yeah. Rockies, right. We've had 
you know, we've had refinery issues galore. So we were, we, you know, we were nowhere near where we should have been on crude runs in January, in uh, January and February. So does that, do you think that shortens the, um, or, or, or uh, just moves the turnaround season back a little bit? So uh, typically they start coming back in, in March and April. Maybe they come back a little earlier this year. Do you think that's possible that we're just seeing these builds in crude a little early than than normal, and it's not that, um, and and we're going to see the refineries come back earlier than normal as well? Or yeah, it's possible. You know, it depends on some of these refineries that didn't come back. You know, how much work they did while they were while they were down. You know, one one big problem with turnarounds is is trying to schedule crews. To come in and main, you know, the maintenance crews to come to come in, but yeah, I, I think that's possible that we do see, you know, crude runs inch up a little, you know, maybe a little bit faster in uh, in March and April, you know, that they, they should peak in 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 May and June, assuming everybody comes back, they should be like May May and June should be we're we're at fifteen now, say May and June we should, we should be pushing seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, and during, you know, and then we should be drawing, you know, we should, we should be drawing stocks, but we're drawing, the, the key is we're drawing stocks from a pretty high level. Right. So, so we talked about this, uh, off the air before we get on, it was, um, the possibility of the market breaking down. We've been in kind of a trading range for a while now, and it's kind of the scenario nobody's looking at, you know, Right. Oh yeah, I think that you know there's been so much bullish sentiment by just about everybody. You know, particularly the banks have really been banging the drum for uh, much higher prices. I noticed that they, um, you know, most of them are now lowering their estimates, uh, rightly so. But I think you're right, Jim. The one thing people, I think, if it broke down through seventy. You know that would really blow a lot of people's minds and their trading positions too, because you know the market's the market's definitely leaning long. Yes, uh, no question about that. So that's a. I was thinking the other uh, scenario that doesn't seem to be getting much play is what happens if we have like solid solid growth and inflation coming down. So we had we had some uh, bad PPI number yesterday, but um, it's one number. You know what? What happens? People are talking about soft landing, hard landing, inflation longer, higher. But what if we have a, a Goldilocks moment where we get to two and a half percent growth and a trend of inflation coming down? That's, I don't. I don't think that's in the in the cards. But I, I don't think it's in the um, the chat that I listen to or read on in the in the news. But the the, the uh, Atlanta. Now cast GDP now cast is is for for this quarter first quarter is at two and a half percent, which is you know basically the number the numbers are quite good so far, and that's that's the U.S. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. If always like to look at those least talked about scenarios because those are oftentimes the way to trade this market. You know, it's a way to kind of if you can, if you can make a case for it, and nobody's doing it, and it, it's it's got, I, it, it, you start thinking about it more and say, okay, let's look. This is a possibility. 
So, yeah, anyway. I think if, if that's if that scenario comes comes in, then you know OPEC is going to be closer to the to the pin on their uh, you know on their demand estimate OPEC and the the IEA because uh, so, that'll we, be uh, that'll crank out. You know that'll be that'll be those. We should see some decent demand numbers at that point. You would think if the if OPEC's looking at plus two point three, and and again that's the the monthly report that a bunch of excellent analysts put out. It doesn't mean that you know the OPEC members have their internal numbers the same. But let's say that they they agree that uh, growth is going to be plus two point three. You think that makes them more likely to uh, to increase uh, barrels into the market? Or they no. just, they sit back and wait. I think they sit back and, and uh, wait and and you know take the price. The uh, Saudi minister basically said the other day that uh, he thought that the, the agreement, the, their last agreement, was good for the year. That they weren't going to make any uh, you know any any changes. And I I, I think most analysts um, you know are looking at it. I know I am. Just looking at OPEC production is pretty steady. You know, the number I put in in pencil, but, you know, maybe I'll put it in more in pen, is uh, an OPEC production of around 29 million barrels a day, give or take. And, you know, I, I think that's a the number, give or take a couple of hundred thousand barrels a day either way. And, then, you know, I think that's a number most everybody's plugged into their into their balances. You know, if things, I, I think if prices, yeah, I guess if prices got into the tail that you were, you know, the tail regions you were yep. talking about, Jim. Yes. Yeah. Maybe they, maybe would they would uh, reconsider, you know, if the market really broke down, you know, they might, they might reconsider. I mean, uh, I'm sure they're not happy that Russia just announced the 500,000 barrel a day cut and the, the market basically went up a little and then when you know it's gone down below that number yeah so yeah. why don't we talk about that uh what what do you think how are you reading that five hundred thousand barrel cut in production by russia well you could either look at it i think there are way there's certainly ways to look at it being a inveterate barrel counter you know i only look at i look at it not that i discount the political uh, which I'm sure is a is a key, you know, maybe a key is a key element because they could use that for any propaganda that they, you know, that that they might want to, and indeed they did after the announcement, saying they're gonna, you know, this is this is to punish the West for the price cap and blah blah blah. But commercially, you know, they may they just may have problems uh, moving. Either the crude or either crude or or diesel, and you know the, the, there's been reports that uh, they, they don't have the ships to move some of the barrels. They they um, you know the mark whether or not the markets are going to can take more or less or, or take the same amount of crude um, unless it's heavily discounted is is, uh, is another factor, and as I think we spoke about last month, you know, there's the diesel factor. Where are you going to move your diesel? Last year, they averaged to the, there's now an embargo 
on uh, EU products, on Russian products to the to the EU, a full embargo. So, you know, the, their main product, the most important product is diesel. Last year, they exported like, let's call it 650, 700,000 barrels a day of diesel to um to the eu and uh in january to the to the uk they really cranked it up though in uh december and january they were up like a million barrels a day of exports before the um before the embargo so let's you know even using 750 they have found some more it looks like they found some markets in uh the middle east you know, to to export to the Middle East and Africa, North Africa, and for the Middle East refiners, you know, they may be able to rebrand that Russian, you know, the Russian diesel rebranded as non-Russian diesel and uh, export it back to Europe, which is kind of ironic to say the least. Uh, and they're, they're moving to Africa. Whether or not they're going to replace all of it, is not is unclear the markets you know the market's waiting that's a wait and see and whether they have the ships to replace it and if they don't replace it then you know you're looking at crude run possible crude run cuts so um you know so that five hundred thousand, some of it may be commercial and they use it for political you know they're using it politically uh interestingly last in the fourth quarter Novak, the Russian oil minister, said that, you know, he thought that 2023 Russian oil production would be down from 500 to 700,000 barrels a day. And um, that's sort of the number we're using, Jim. I have in my own little barrel counting machine, you know, I, I put Russian production down like, you know, 650. Uh, others are more, you know, others are like over a million barrels a day. Like the IEA is, I think, over a million barrels a day. I think the IEA is Russian production going going down. So you know, there's so obviously there's a lot going on on the flow side. Yeah, uh, traders are traders are carefully watching what's what's going on. It's interesting. I I uh, I guess from last year, IEA originally saw three million barrels a day of Russian oil shut in. I'm I'm pulling this off a news uh, right. All I saw. And now they they inst instead they use the word some, you know some oil will be <laughs> shut in. So uh, yeah, it's again that's an, another difficult uh, num difficult numbers to get get around. We'll have to see how this uh, sorts out. I did I did also read that uh, some Russian oil got processed in China and the diesel that came out of it ended up in uh, the U.S. Um, so I don't know if that's true or not, but it's. Um, it it shows you the complex uh trade routes that are getting uh disrupted and and changed and you know because of the embargoes yeah the uh they they're definitely they've been able to export some uh fuel oil export fuel oil to asia maybe china and it it's uh you know it's being upgraded and into a uh, lighter product and it's certainly it's certainly possible, you know. You look at all the Russian oil that uh, India's been taking, you know, no question. Some of the products that they've been exporting to Europe has, you know, has the the products the, the Russian the products as a result of that embargo crude, you know, is ending up in in uh, the EU. 
and that was that was the intention of the um uh, the price ceiling as well is right is to keep barrels on the market don't not not just dis, don't disrupt oil markets as you know price wise and 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 uh and yet have russia sell their oil and products at deep discounts and and is that happening yeah it worked amazingly <laughs> You know, a lot of a lot of almost everybody was going. This is unworkable. This is crazy. There shouldn't be any price cap. But yeah, so far, so far, I think you have to give credit to the uh, architects of that because it, it's it's working. And um, let's talk about diesel. When you look at the U.S. stocks, we see uh, gasoline has moved forward. That you know, stocks have built. Um, diesel still, even though it looks like a slight build, it still looks like it's closer to the uh, five-year average low as opposed to the five-year average high for crude and, and gasoline. Are we still in a shortage here or a tightness? Or, or the cracks have come off, but yeah, still the high. cracks are right. The cracks have really come off, and you know, thanks to the thanks to the non-winter that we've had, yeah. uh, we, we had talked about. You know, we had talked about a possible shortage in in uh, New England and, and uh, the Middle Atlantic states, and that's not going to happen now. Uh, even if we have a freezing, you know, freezing March and April, we're th we're through the worst of it. And um, you know, I think that you're right, though, Jim. The the distillate stocks are still a little bit are still low. I mean, they're they're still relative to four relative to five year averages. They're they're low in day supply. They're like six or seven days, uh, days low. The, the one thing that isn't low though, if you look at uh, Atlantic Basin stocks and you throw in Europe, because of the, you know, perceived the the, the loss of of Russian diesel, and it's a big you know it's a big hit. Uh, obviously, prices rallied significantly but and everybody sent diesel including the russians uh everyone sent diesel to europe and so europe is in now in pretty good shape on diesel and what it's going to mean is if we if we do have a big you know u.s rally the europe europe ironically is <laughs> could be sending uh you know could be sending some excess uh over here to the over to the uh u.s it's not over yet we're going to planting season so diesel i think out of all you know out of uh crude gasoline you know where diesel is definitely the one to you know the one to watch for any uh any bullish notes certainly uh, if the if the economy remains you know the economy was hot in january and probably a little hot in february but if it remains hot that'll help on the on the uh on the demand side, the demand is disappointing. I'd say not as bad as gasoline, but um, you know, still it, it's running like three point six three million barrels a day the last four weeks. Average is probably like three seven five, three eight, something like that. Uh, last year, the EIA is also looking for diesel to be like unchanged this year on demand uh so, same with gasoline i think they may be too high on gasoline i mean gasoline demand is a big you know that that's a big fact u.s gasoline demand is a big factor let's talk about that 
what's what's it what what's your what are you thinking for uh, 2023 i'm thinking that the eia is may you know we may end up behind last year on uh gasoline <laughs> you're seeing like miles driven and demand begin to decouple you know they used to be in lockstep and uh now, now they're decoupling and i think there is certainly you know just to, right now the four week average for gasoline we're we're out of season obviously but it's 83 if you go back to that 2015 2019 uh average that i described it, it's uh 9.05 so you you've lost 800,000 barrels a day of gasoline demand since you know since the peak years you know i think and i think those are going to be the peak years jim i i think gasoline demand has probably peaked in uh in the us the, there's a lot of factors you know obviously the work from home is uh is a big factor and and what's going to be the big fat you know the biggest factor going forward over the next five to ten years is going to be evs and i i think you know we're seeing it in the, in these numbers I, I think the ev uh ev adoption is probably leading to you know 100 to 200 thousand barrels a day lost demand so far on uh gasoline maybe more maybe somewhat less but that's gonna, you know, that's not stopping. That trend no. is not stopping. No, I, uh, I bought a hybrid. I love it, and it's it's not an EV, but it's definitely the uh, gas mileage. I I don't have to fill up as much as I, I notice it. You know, I notice I don't have to fill up. I mean, I obviously I'm talking about driving around town, and and um, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable how much fewer trips i make to the gas station now but um yeah i, I and it's just i'm not sure this is the first time you mentioned evs sort of uh and entering your uh calculation on gasoline demand i think for a while you said it was there you know you could see their their sales were increasing by a lot but it wasn't a, a big factor in demand but now now you're saying it is yeah, I was saying it over the over the last few years because it wasn't. It wasn't. You no. know, now you know, twenty twenty two, and what we're looking at for twenty twenty three, it is. So I am putting it in there, and um, you know, in each year, EV sales are going to increase. There's more competition. You know, besides Tesla, that was the other thing. I mean, it was basically Tesla or nothing. And, um, you know, as we go forward, it, it's going to be a bigger and bigger portion, not only here in the U.S., but, you know, it's already a big, you know, big percentage in, in China. Yes. Um, and we know Norway is a, big, is a big percentage, not a big user. But, yeah. you know, and government is, is you know, it's Fleets right are there. are going that way. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's going that way. Not sure so, I would want to do it if I was in uh, Minnesota when it was uh, what minus thirty degrees, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I think it's. I think you're. We're seeing it in the numbers, and and they are having an effect for sure. Yeah, you can't ignore it. You know, it, it can't be ignored anymore. You know, besides the, you know, the economic and the, you know, the work from home. I think EV is is now you know a factor. So if um let's say that demand doesn't come back in gasoline for refiners how much tweaking can they will will they tweak to make you know run diesel 
like it was uh, winter time and not, you know, not a summer driving season, or is it not quite there? You, you know what I'm saying? Is it? I they... don't think it's. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's there yet. I mean, they could tweak as best, you know, as best they're, they're able, depending on the type of crew they run, you know, and what they can do with the uh, feedstocks, et cetera, et cetera, to make more make more diesel. The the key is that what what is going to happen is the for gasoline is just going to become more and more of an export market, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then U.S. refiners are going to have to look for growth, you know, whether it's South America or, or it will probably be, you know, there'll be more exports to South America and we're going to we're going to be competing globally for um if for growing you know where gasoline is is, uh is growing and probably that competition is going to put some pressure on uh margins not yet not yet but you know as as we go forward Mm -hmm. um you know gasoline's going to be gasoline's going to be the product that is is going to be as as i said in the probably the most most competitive Diesel still should be uh, diesel and jet, you know, ultimately diesel too, but not, not right, you know, not right this second because of trucking and rail. Uh, But so it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for, um, you know, for U.S. refiners, particularly since the new refinery capacity that's coming on is, you know, they're, they're modern refiners, they're modern refineries coming on in Asia. Right. And uh, we'll see if that Nigerian went when and if the, there's a 600,000 barrel a day refinery ready to go in uh, Nigeria, but it hasn't quite opened yet. So we'll be watching. Yeah. You know, that's that'll that's another, you know, that'll be competition for the Asian and uh, European refiners. Uh, just to, I want to get a couple questions in before we uh, get to the uh, prices, but um, the SPR is releasing another 26 million barrels. I think the SPR is at the lowest uh, amount of oil since 1983. Do you see that as an issue? It's become a political issue. <laughs> I <know>. uh, <laughs> Everything's a political issue. Commercially, no, I don't think it's a big issue. I, and this is this was already approved. This isn't part of the emergency release. Right. So, you know, this is just to use for, you know, I think Congress wanted just to help balance the budget. So, no, I don't. I mean, it's not a lot. It's 300,000 barrels a day. So if if they wanted to balance the budget, they should be trading the curve. They should be. Of course, they should be trading the curve. But it's like a bunch of layups over the years. Oh, my God. But Jim. Yeah, you you find me the uh, politician who's going to recommend that, right? Yeah, I don't I don't know if you remember. But it's what we I I did a talk in the eighties to the oil producing states on how to use options to hedge, you know their their uh, their their the revenues for, for their budget, and um, it was really interesting because I did get that comment afterward they said who who do you think was going to step out and say uh, let's hedge some barrels and, and nobody's going to do that so uh, alaska might have 
might have actually done a pilot program. One of them did a pilot program, but I'm not well, sure. Well, I, I spoke to Alaska also in the eighties <laughs> yeah. about the very about the very same thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, afterward, after my, they had a couple of guys talking about it, and after the talk was over, we repaired to the the local restaurant, and uh, the governor happened to be there. And he put his arm around me and he goes, that was very, very interesting, Andrew. I doubt we'll ever do something like that, but that was, that was, you know, that was interesting. So I, I had, uh, I think I was in a place called, I did my talk somewhere in Colorado. I think it was like parachute. Is that a, it's, uh, my, my memory may fail me, but we, we went on a tour to, um, a unical project in the Rockies to extract oil from the shale rock. And um, so this would have been 19, maybe was it 87, 88, something like that. It might've been 88. And um, they were telling me that they're about to shut it down. Cause it's, you know, we don't, don't need it anymore. <laughs> cool. so yeah. At you know, times as, as we get into these cycles, we talk about, you know, um, the, the other one I want to ask you, Andy, um, before I ask you about prices, is that, you know, the the pounding that we've been hearing for a long time now is that oil companies are not investing in in producing oil as much as they used to. They're being disciplined. And uh, and maybe they're just talking about the U.S. shale guys, which that seems to be the case. But when you look at non-OPEC production, can you it's, it's coming on pretty good, don't you think? Yeah. It, like around the is. world, yeah. The, there's going to be decent growth this year in uh, Canada. Uh, Guyana uh, will probably be up like 150 to 200 thousand a, a day. Norway uh, is is has been a, a remarkable success story for uh, North Sea production. U.S. Not so, you know. U.S. Uh, the production the the growth has really been in uh, non crude liquids. You know, NGLs last year, I think, was were up like 500,000 barrels a day. They're going to be up a little less this year. Uh, Brazil, too, is, is bringing some, uh, you know, is bringing some new production to the market. So, yeah, non-OPEC production is growing nicely. Russia, of course, is a non-OPEC producer. So, you know, you, you, non-OPEC produ- production, you know, would be up, I don't know, a, a million and a half to two million barrels a day. The day something like that if it weren't for the loss of russian right, so you, right, you're definitely right. seeing uh some growth in in uh non-opec uh non-opec production but the ones that are really in and, and there's investment going i mean bp just made a big announcement uh, on uh you know their their capital expenditures you know so they're gonna spend more on uh fossil fuel development than they had planned Right, uh, but you know, OPEC, the Persian Gulf producers are still, you know, they're they're still investing very heavily, and that you know what they know, even as non-OPEC production grows, it is true. The last few years, the the um, the investments, the capital investments by non-OPEC producers, you know, are are, are not, particularly in the U.S., you know, is probably not sufficient to um maintain the growth we're going to need at least for the next i don't know the next five to ten years so opec's going to be in a in a very good place 
So that that um, story we've been hearing for years now that we're not maybe a few years now, but um, that we're not investing enough is still out is still valid out there. I think saying. it's still yeah. I think we could probably invest more. You know, you're you're kind of caught in the transition here. Right. You know, for some of these uh for the for the majors and you know the independent producers. So it's good, you know, the next yeah, you're caught in the transition. Yep. Prices. You had you had some good calls the last few months about trading range markets. Let's talk about uh crude oil first of all. What do you think going forward? Say a month out. What are we I doing? think you know, I th I think still a range, but as we've been talking through this call, you know, the the the, down, the, the I guess there's some threat, you know, you, you'd think beforehand there was no threat for the downside. You know, I, I think there's a threat 70, you know, we've been in this 75.85 or 72.82 type range for a while and longer 70.90. Could it break 70? Yeah, I, I guess. Uh I guess there's a chance. I mean, I like the range a little better because inventories, global inventories still are on the low side. Mm -hmm. um, and we are still looking ahead at second half being more of a draw than a, you know, we're looking for draws in the, in the second half. So I sort of think it's going to hold and, you know, still be in this range and, and, you know, and, and I think we're we're stuck here. But I think that it's interesting, Jim, that you brought out. You know how how the downside could be, you know, could be at risk. Okay, uh, Andy. Anything else um, you want to talk about before we uh, shut down here? Um, for, for another month. No, I think we covered a lot, Jim. We did. We did. We did. I guess I'm going to ask you. If you had a um, option play, what would it be? Well, I'm in the cocoa market, Andy. So, um, <laughs> uh, no, WTI. Well, that's a good question. I, the, you know, you kind of when you when you talk about a trading range market, you you're thinking about selling straddle strangles. You're thinking about selling options, and that's actually not been a bad play because the the um implied volatility has been at a like about a 10 point premium over what we measure as historical volatility they're not perfect measures with each other one's looking backwards one's looking forwards the other um one of them is based on settlement prices so it doesn't pick up all the volatility but the historic so basically the trading ranges have gotten narrow basically not to support the implied volatility out there. So, so uh, for the last, I'd say, couple of months, the, the option sellers have had the advantage. But you know, the, the big question is, there's there's a lot out there that we, you know, we have this war going on in in Ukraine. You can't forget about that. So you, you know, you have to be careful when you're selling options in this market. So I like to look for markets that are. Um, have the volatility squeezed out of them, and it's it's hard. It's, they're not always there, and and to play a direction. So, so so basically, the if I'm looking at April, the implied volatility is at 36 percent, and that's come down from around 
50 50s in in um, last October. So so the volatility is getting squeezed. Um, it's probably not such a bad. It, it still has a premium over the historical. It's probably not su such a bad time to look at buying some, uh, you know, out of the money puts or something like that. Um, if if I had to do something accrued right now, so that I would look at. Certainly not the popular trade. No, no, that's right. And you know, the as as we as you know very well, analyzing markets and trying to figure out where they're going is different from trading markets, right? You're you're looking for, you know, what's in the market, what's not in the market, and and I think what my point today was what I don't think is in the market is the possibility of this going south and and I, I would I would think it would be sooner than later so it's probably you know over the next couple of months not maybe in the back month so yeah it's a, it's a different game when you're trying to put in put on positions than just trying to figure out where the market's going right right yeah. oh yeah it's like picking the Super Bowl you you had you had to uh who who's who ended up being favored at the end I think it was um I think it was the Eagles. So that so that was a good that was a you know that was a reasonable line. I mean, going into the game, I thought you know I didn't know who I didn't have a good idea who was going to win, and the line was like a a point and a half, and it flipped from the beginning to the end from one team to the other. So yeah, so so I think this market going back to where we are does have like when I'm looking at options, I th I think it has a a, a significant bullish uh, bias into it. Um, so yeah, let's try to try to play it the other way. Um, so let's anything else, Andy? We're good. No, right? my just if you want to get a hold of me, yeah. I'm at a Lebeau at commodityresearchgroup.com. Check out our website as well, Commodity Research Group. Yep. And uh I am on you can get me at Commodity Research Group as well, but I'm also on LinkedIn and I uh occasionally put up uh uh, things that I'm interested in markets, not always oil markets, but um, uh, and uh, I've got a bunch of people, mostly my friends on there as well. But um, I, I say yes to anybody that uh, wants to connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, Andy, I'll I'll talk to you next next month. Okay, thanks, Jim.